We're going to be in Matthew 16, 13 through 20. And just as a way of starting off, uh, before we get into our text, it will be, I believe, it will be helpful for you to know the setting of, uh, of where we're actually at in the middle of Matthew here. So Jesus has been, uh, has been with the disciples um, for a couple years now, and uh, going around from, from town to town, Jesus has slowly and surely been revealing who he is and what he has come to do. Uh, so this obviously drew some attention to him, and so bigger and bigger crowds are starting to kind of gather around him. Uh, not necessarily followers of Jesus. Some, some people just want to be healed. Um, other people are wanting something from Jesus. Some people just want to make a profit. They want to be able to do what Jesus is doing and kind of turn that around for some, uh, for some money. Um, but so as, as crowds and, and the attention is forming, forming, Jesus has something important that he wants to go over and, and talk with his disciples about. So if you had something important that you wanted to discuss with one of your friends or, or someone, what do you do? Or actually, more importantly... Where would you go? Any ideas? Where would you go? If you have something important to say, talk to somebody about whether that be relationship or you want to talk in a, a serious, important matter over. What are some places you might go? Yeah. Perfect. Corner of the building. And why? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you'd want to go to some place a little bit more secluded, where there's not a big crowd that you can focus, you can concentrate, you can hear each other, and also that perhaps you don't really see a lot of people that you know, so you're not getting distracted or interrupted or, uh, or whatnot. So if you think of it kind of like that, so Jesus with the disciples, he, he travels 25 miles north of Galilee, if that matters at, at all, if, if you know kind of where that's at, but it's 25 miles on foot away is kind of like on the outer regions of, of the Jewish people, the, of the community, and almost into the, the pagan areas, like the, where the Gentiles. So uh, this story takes place, as you'll notice, in Caesarea Philippi. Herod um, the Great, he, he built um, a temple for pagan worship for Caesar Augustus, and then his grandson took it over and did some remodeling and renamed it after himself, uh, so renamed it Caesarea Philippi. Uh, so that basically, regardless, the, the men get away to, to have some um, more intentional, purposeful uh, conversations, a place that Jesus can openly ask them any question, and a place where they are free to answer and shoot straight with Jesus without the fear of being influenced or uh, pressure from, from the crowd. Got it? Okay. So... Before we begin, uh, I'm going to pray, and then, um, and then we'll uh, look at our main text here for tonight. So let me pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, thank you that, that we have another opportunity to uh, just sit and study and talk about your word together um, as a group. Um, God, please bless this time. Without you, uh, we're, just, um, we're, we're meeting in vain, and, and we can't understand uh, the realities of, of heaven or kingdom of, of yourself. So please reveal um, yourself to us. Help us to know what to do with it, how to apply it to our lives here tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
Let's go ahead and let's stand as I read from Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Here we go. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. All right, you may be seated. So as I looked at this, um, the main point that I was coming up with uh, in a nutshell is that as the Christ, Jesus will build his church. Um, to me, that's the, the most simplistic form. You could kind of flesh that out a bit and say as the Christ, Jesus will build his church on the rock. Or you could take it a little bit further. As Christ, Jesus will build his church on the basis of who he is. Um, that is... That kind of the, the, the overview that I had uh, as I looked and studied the text. And I'm going to break the lesson up into three uh, fairly simple uh, sections here. And that is what the people say, what Peter says, and what Jesus says. Okay, not too hard. What people say, what Peter says, what Jesus says. So first of all, let's take a look at what the people say. Um, as mentioned before... Um, the, the disciples have been with Jesus for, for quite some time now. Jesus have been, has been going around doing some pretty amazing things. He's been uh, teaching. He's been preaching. He's been healing diseases, casting out demons. He's been silencing the Jewish leaders who are trying to uh, literally bury him, who are trying to get rid of Jesus. But Jesus is also spending time with the disciples too at the same time. So the disciples not only have seen and heard a lot of things going on that Jesus has said and done, but they would also know how the people are responding, what the people are saying about Jesus. So Jesus asks a, a pretty non-threatening question to the disciples. Who do people say the Son of Man is? I thought it was interesting that Jesus doesn't say, who do people say that I am? But he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus often referred to himself as the son of man, highlighting his uh, humanity, that he's a man, he's a son of man. But as we talked about last week, uh, Scott was talking about uh, Daniel 7.13, and I will read that for you, just to remind you. This is where the phrase son of man kind of uh, originated here back in Daniel. There came one like the son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
So we go back to the original question, how the disciples answered this. Said that the Son of Man, in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, other Jeremiah or one of the prophets. We'll start with Elijah. Uh, I could see where people may have um, thought that it was Elijah. What was unique about Elijah? Something happened to Elijah. Maybe the way he was taken. Yes. Yeah, he was taken up into heaven. One of two men who didn't actually die, but was taken up into heaven. The other being Enoch. But you can kind of see, like maybe they thought since he didn't die, he was returning to earth to live out his life. And uh, who knows, but that was that was the wrong answer. Another answer was Jeremiah and the other prophets. Again, these these men lived hundreds and hundreds of years before their, their deaths are recorded. So, I mean, for me, that's, that'd be a, a red flag to hear that. But one that really makes me scratch my head is John the Baptist. Some people thought he was John the Baptist. If you look back in, in the Gospels, John the Baptist and Jesus like existed at the same time in the same region together. John the Baptist's mother Elizabeth and, and Jesus' earthly mother Mary, they, they were pregnant together, they talked together. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And then just a couple chapters before Matthew 16 and Matthew 14, John the Baptist is imprisoned and they behead him. He died. Most people who are beheaded die. Um, so he's not around. And so the, the main point of... of of what I'm trying to say here is, is none of these accurately describe who actually Jesus was. All, all these men were, were forerunners. They pointed towards someone who was going to come and fulfill the prophecy who, which Jesus was doing. I heard a quote uh, that I thought noteworthy of, um, from a pastor. You probably have heard this before. Everyone thought highly of Jesus. They just didn't think highly enough about Jesus. The people failed to recognize Jesus as the long-awaited one, the Messiah, because they were expecting someone different. They were expecting uh, a military ruler or some high kingly official, someone who's going to like really take the reins and charge and, you know, gung-ho, um, you know, put, put the Jewish people on top and have no problems. It's not how Jesus chose to come. Chose to come humbly and gently. So we're going to move on to, to what Peter says um, in our next section here. Jesus doesn't really respond much to the, to the answers given by the disciples, at least not recorded. And, and then he asked the disciples a much more direct question. He asked them, who do you say that I am? So unlike the first question, who was kind of it's kind of like a, a chill question, low-key, you know, not a lot of pressure, what the people say. But I would imagine this question probably made him squirm just a little bit. The men spent almost three years side-by-side side Jesus, and uh, as I mentioned before, they, they saw some pretty wild, crazy things, uh, heard Jesus say things that, that was beyond their thinking. 
I mean, here's a guy who says one word and an entire storm that's threatening them just stops. They knew that this was no ordinary man, no ordinary human being. But yet, even though they, they were side by side Jesus, they still didn't have it figured out. They still didn't know who he was. Jesus would, um, would be teaching of himself and, and what the Father is like. And remember the things that they would say, like back in John 14, 8, show us the Father, show us who God is, and that'll be enough for us. As if Jesus, God himself, wasn't enough. So Peter, uh, he boldly confesses to Jesus here, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the original text, um, as I studied this, the, there's a definite article that appears four times, so there's, there's emphasis on each word. So in other words, it, it would have been something like, you are the Christ, the Son, the God of the living one. Peter is communicating with his bold confession that this, Jesus, you are the long-awaited one. You are the Messiah. It's a bold claim, so you can see why they kind of got away from the crowds, because if they would have been around the Jewish leaders and had been talking about this, um, there would have been an uproar. There would have been some serious persecution going on. Moving to our third section here, uh, kind of seeing what, what God says, how, how God responded to this. God responds in verse 17, Peter, blessed are you, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Uh, blessed is not like, Jesus isn't congratulating Peter because he, um, because he figured it out. Um, that's not what this blessed means. This blessed means that literally he's been blessed by God in order that he gets it, in order that he sees um, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he addresses Peter by his earthly uh, family name. Um, kind of know him as Simon, but uh, Jesus calls him by his full name here, Simon Bar-Jonah, and then says to, uh, to Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it is my Father who is in heaven. What Jesus actually confessed was a gift given to him. He didn't figure it out on his own. Continuing on with verse 18, uh, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is the lesson notes, uh, for those who've kind of looked at the study helps in the lesson, what does Peter's name mean in the Greek language? Yes. Little Stone. Little Stone. What a cool nickname. How would you like to have the nickname Little Stone? Little Stone tells you, you are a little stone, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus does a little play on words here, uh, referring to Peter as, as a little church, and, and says that on this rock, which is a, a, a bigger, it's bigger than a little stone, I kind of imagine like a boulder, like some kind of foundational rock. Now on this rock, Jesus is going to build his church. I can see where at first glance um, you would think or you could see that the rock actually here is referring to Peter. Um, I do not believe that is the case. I believe um, really what, what this is saying is that the rock referring to Peter's confession about 
who Jesus is. Again, in the study notes, study helps here. Um, I like how it's put here under, under rock at the very last sentence there. It says, from the mouth of the little stone comes a foundational truth that will build the church. That will build the church. Jesus is the builder. He is the cornerstone. The church are his called out ones. The ones that Jesus has chosen to reveal himself to. We are the church for those who of us believe in Christ as Savior, as, as, as the Messiah. We are the church. And Jesus promised to build it. And it's a, it's a sure thing, done deal. It's going to happen and nothing can prevail against it. Not even the gates of hell itself will prevail against it. The gates of hell being the, you know, a gate is like the entryway, the opening to the, to the gates of hell to, to Hades. So a Jewish phrase, this means like death is basically what it's referring to. Not even death itself can prevail, can prevent God from building his church. This reminds me of Romans 8.38. And, um, and this says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers or heights or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death can separate the church from God's love, from his blessing, from him growing and building the church. Then Jesus says, uh, moving on through our text, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church is uh, in the beginning stages of being a church. Jesus is going to soon be on his way to Jerusalem. He must suffer. He must die. He must be raised. Um, going back to the right hand of the Father in order to, uh, to pay atonement for our sins, to pay for the penalty of our sins. So this is something that has to happen. So Jesus is handing the keys of the kingdom over to Peter and by extension handing the keys of the kingdom over to the church. Guess what? Study helps again. Uh, keys are a symbol of authority. Keys are a symbol of authority. Authority has been given to, to us, the church, to Peter, to proclaim his message, to carry out his word. This means that, that we are called to um, we're called to, to study God's word, to discern it, to know it, and to carry it out. So uh, whether that be uh, binding things or forbidding things or loosening things or permitting things. Uh, I was looking at the MacArthur Study Bible here, and it's explained like this, uh, the section of uh, loosening and binding. The, church, the church's authority is not to determine these things. In other words, not to determine like what's permitted and, and what's not permitted. Like we're not called to play the role of God, but to declare the judgment for heaven based on the principles of the word. When the church makes such judgments on basis of God's word, we can be sure that heaven is in accord. We can be sure that heaven is in agreement with that, right? So in other words, whatever we bind or loose on earth is already bound or already loosed on earth. All right, the last thing, the last sentence of our text here says that the disciples, um, the, Jesus strictly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Um, this is kind of like 
first time you read that, it's like, wait, what? He's telling the disciples not to take what they just learned about Jesus being disciples and not proclaim that to the people around them just quite yet anyway. Because like I said before, people didn't, they didn't believe. Their, their misconceptions of who Jesus was kept them from, from really understanding. It, this would have caused a distraction to what Jesus was trying to accomplish at that time. So Jesus tells them, for now, hold off, don't tell anybody, because um, just of their view of who they're expecting to come as Messiah. Back in Matthew, just as an example of this, back in Matthew 8, um, there was a leper, and Jesus healed him of his disease. And Jesus tells him to not tell anybody, but I would imagine if you were healed, you're healed. In his excitement, he went off and he told people what happened who, and who did it. So this early on in Jesus' ministry <laughs> drew attention. Crowds came to Jesus, and Jesus and his disciples had to move from that city out into the desert region. So um, God has certain timing for, for revealing, for unveiling who he is. And for the disciples, the time had not yet come to disclose that. I want to move uh, on to our uh, application here uh, for tonight before I let you go. And uh, our application is, is a pretty simple one. And that is the fact that we have to answer the same question that the disciples answered uh, in, that Jesus had asked. And that, that is, who do you say Jesus is? You could find out what other people think. You could find out what our pastors think. You could find out what uh, your youth leader thinks, who Jesus is. But all that doesn't really matter as much as what you think, who you believe Jesus to be. So, Maybe as an exercise, only if your leader decides, uh, wants to, um, you can maybe talk about, like, brainstorm, what would you say to people around you, your friends, people at school, your family, maybe other religions, what, what's your take, what do you hear about people's view of who Jesus is, and then maybe spend some time uh, going around and, and give your opinion, who you think Jesus is. This isn't something to, like, Exercise like what all you know about Jesus, but but more than anything, more just talking about who who Jesus is personally to you. Is he your savior? Is he your deliverer? Is he your Lord? Is he someone that, that gives you hope? Do you look? Do you turn to him for for guidance? Who is Jesus to you? If you know Jesus personally in these ways, praise him for that. That's a big deal. God has given you a gift. Be thankful for it. Be grateful for it. Praise God for it. That's awesome. If you would say that you do not know Jesus on this uh, personal level, um, I would just say to you, ask God to open your eyes to, to reveal to you who Jesus is. Ask him to give you a desire to, to look for, to, to seek it out, to, to be ready, to be watching for ways in which God might be already trying to reveal himself to you. Um, be a great opportunity to do that in your small groups tonight if you so desire. Let me pray for us and then we will be dismissed to our small groups. 
Father, again, I thank you for um, all that you have done for us, all that you have said to us. Thank you so much just for the gift that, that all these things, uh, that, that, um, that you have recorded what we need to know about you and your word. And um, God, I pray that uh, for us that you would, even though we, we may even know you on a personal level, God, please show us, reveal more of yourself to us, God, that we may um, just know you more, God, that we, may, um, that we may see you as you are. May we progressively be growing in that way, in that manner. God, bless our small groups tonight. Uh, help us to uh, just have good conversations tonight. Lead us. Um, but again, thank you for tonight. Thank you for being able to meet and to study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.